Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello, and welcome back to One Minute Remaining. My name is Jack Lawrence, the host and creator of this show. Today is part five of the story of Jeremy and Zachary Kane and Mark Harper. Three teens, now men, who were sentenced to 35 years for the murder of Jimmy Hill in 2002. Mark Harper will be released after serving three years, while Jeremy and Zach are still incarcerated for this crime. The boys are off to trial. Three teenagers who hadn't even finished high school were now going to court for murder. The newspapers and media have been repeatedly reporting on the story. Headline after headline speaking about how the teens had beaten to death a local grocer. Do you remember the the first day of your trial? Um, Well, I I remember the jury selection, which was the week prior... While we're just quickly on that subject of the jury selection, what I found interesting was, uh, obviously we hear a lot about all-white juries, um, but this was a supposedly an all-black yeah. jury for your case. Yeah, well, it was 11 black, one white. Right, um, okay. So not quite 100% black, but yeah. Which is, I mean, it seems, again, I mean, you know, if it, if it was, um, you know, an African-American person who was on trial and, and they were to say, well, it was an all-white jury bar one African-American, I think people would go, well, that doesn't seem fair. Right, you're very correct. I mean, the the jury selection process is pretty, I don't know, the way they did it, you know, we would try to tell the lawyer certain people we thought would be better, and they would, I don't know if you know how the jury selection process over here works, but it's, it's, they have like a group of, I think it was like 75 or 80, maybe 90 people, and each side, you don't like pick your jury, you pick who you don't want on your yeah, jury, and yeah. you get what's left, essentially. And in a nutshell, that's kind of how it works. And they, you know, they were striking people, and I'm like, well, that probably would have been beneficial to us, you know. And but, you know, they they didn't see it that way, and it just seemed odd that in the end we end up with a pretty much all black jury. And I think they were also using that again, you know, preying on them also, like using them as thinking that if we get them on here, then they'll convict them because he's white and play into that side of them. Yeah. So it's kind of like a, 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 a discriminatory thing towards them also and, and me. Yeah. Yeah, because, I mean, look, I mean, we, we, we like to think that race doesn't play a factor in these things, but I think, you know, deep down, it, it, unfortunately, it, it always is going to play a certain part in, in these things, I think. Yeah, I completely agree with you. I mean, you can... 
you know, in, in the end, I think to at least some extent it does play a role. Especially in a, I would imagine in a state such as Alabama, which has got a very deep history when it comes to racism. You know, there's, there's deep, deep, oh, yeah. deep running issues there when it comes to, to race between, you know, the black community and the white community. Oh, for sure. And then the way our government is, they just, they just, they just constantly here in this country try to put races against each other. You know, they just try to keep you divided. They, they, they'll get on the president or whatever. Like, oh, we're going to try to unite the country. Then you turn around and, and alienate a whole group of people, you know, and, and it's like they just do it intentionally. In Alabama, you know, it's probably a little, a little worse than other areas, but um, there's definitely a deep racial divide in this state. Um, I mean, I think it's in this whole country, honestly, but more so in the South, for sure. So were you all together at your trial, or all of you? Yes. We were all consolidated and went to trial together, um, which was, you know, I don't know why lawyers did that. That was from, from my learning after this, that that's like the worst decision ever. Um, you don't ever go to trial with your co-defendants, especially you know, self-defense situation. You don't, you don't do that. Um, but that's why they did it. I mean, my trial to me was kind of a blur. I don't really remember it. It's kind of like I was just sitting there, but I wasn't there. Both Zach and Jeremy say that they wanted to and were fully prepared to take the stand in their own trial, but neither would be given that opportunity. And they kept telling me not to testify, not to testify, not to, why not? Why don't you want me on the stand? They kept saying they're going to bring up prior history. I said, what prior history? Getting fight in school? I mean, I'm, I ain't never even been suspended but one time. You know, like, why can't I get on the stand? They kept telling me no. My lawyer's like, no, no, you got anger. I don't have anger issues. I get upset. I get emotional, but I'm not angry. You know, he's like, he's saying I get I, my temper. I got a temper. And if they, people go to saying the wrong thing to me, I'm going to get mad when they're loud. I'm, yes, I'm going to get mad. I'm emotional. I'm going to get mad if you're sitting there lying saying I did this or I did it like this. Yes, I'm going to get mad. But that doesn't mean... I'm a bad kid. You know, it doesn't mean that I'm a bad person. If you're sitting there lying on me, then, I mean, what am I supposed to do? Just sit there and say, yes, sir. See, the DA tries to trick you and manipulate you and play games with the words and all that stuff, and we didn't know nothing about none of that stuff. But I wanted to get on the stand, and I couldn't. The trouble is you're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't, because if you show too much emotion, it's, oh, look, this person's a hothead, you know, you can see how they'd snap. But if you don't and you sit there and yeah. say nothing, they're like, oh, this person's cold. Look at them. There's no emotion on that person's face yeah, whatsoever. Yeah, don't care. That's what they were saying in the, yeah, that's what they were saying in the newspapers. Every time I look at them, they're just sitting there all sound, and I say, that's what our lawyers told us to do. Don't make a sound. Don't move. Don't make facial expressions. They even try to coach us whenever they put the autopsy pictures up there. Look like you're remorseful. Look, put your head down. And I, I'm like, listen, listen, man. You ain't got to tell me to do that. When I see that, I mean, it upsets me all, still today. It still upsets me today that that happened. I know how, I'm, I'm not, I don't have to coach myself into being upset. You know, it's not like I'm happy about this. But no, our lawyers are just so smart. They're the ones with the degrees, and everybody wants to believe them. But, oh, yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah. yeah, I mean, you, you did say that sort of your parents weren't saying much about the situation or you, you guys weren't really across much of what was going on. So did you ever have a sit-down chat with your attorneys at any point to discuss a sort of how the trial was going to run and, and the defence that you were going with? Yeah, we, we did. I did do that. I mean, my dad did most of the talking with the attorneys, but, I mean, there was, you know, a, several meetings with the attorney um, in the course of the 11 months. There was one... One time we had, we sat down and went over my testimony. And we you know I was going to testify. I was, I was under the impression I was going to testify. And by the time you know we went to court and everything, they he ended up closing the case and resting before I had a chance to testify. And then when I asked him about it, he said, "Well, it's too late. I've already, I've already rested. And, you know, I didn't, I didn't want you to testify." 
And I was like, well, why? What I thought we prepped me for to do was testify, and now we didn't even do it. So, but most of the conversation with my attorney was with my dad. So the state's case against the boys mainly relied on two major witnesses, followed by some other statements made by other teenagers who would make certain claims about what the boys said had happened that day. I'll send you a whole file if you want to see what the DA's evidence, everything the DA had the day of the incident where the kids, when they left, two go one way, two go another. They're not, they're not going in the same vehicles. They're in two separate vehicles. Two go this way and two go that way. Jeremy and Chris are together. Mark and Zach are together. Jeremy and Chris go to one place and tell a boy what happened. Mark and Zachary go home and tell them what happened. I think my wife goes over there. I'm not for sure. And then they all go to the police station. At the police station, they tell some kids out there that's watching the damn uh, fire truck what happened. Every story that was ever told of what happened that day, this man attacked them and swung on them before they ever hit him. Every story. And threatened to sodomize them in the couple. The ones that listen, you know, the ones that could remember every bit of it. That's the DA's evidence. I think my evidence, I didn't go dig this up. I didn't get to talk to these kids. The DA had this in his, in his, in his files. Here's what his discovery. So he prosecutes my kids, all these kids, for going out and deliberately killing this man. That's, that's, this, this is a joke. First, we're going to take a look at a statement made by Matthew Farris. 17 at the time of his statement, he was the friend of Jeremy's that had asked Jeremy to go over and get Zach and Mark out of his girlfriend's house. After the incident with Jimmy Hill, Jeremy and Chris Stano drive over to where Matthew worked. I spoke to Jeremy about the statement Matthew made to police about what was said that afternoon. One of the statements that I was reading, actually, which I wanted to talk to you about, was the one from Matthew Farris, the guy that uh, had sent you over to the house to get the boys away from his girlfriends. So he made a statement, as you know, he made a statement to police about you and Chris arriving at his workplace. He says all the stuff about, you know, they said that Mr. Hill leaked and spit and had a timber and all the rest of it. But he also quotes, Uh he quotes here that you said to him, he told me that they were just going to ride by Mr. Hill's house and see if Greg Allen was there. He said they were following Mark Harper because Jeremy or Chris didn't know where Mr. Hill lived. Yeah, no, I definitely never told him that. See, this is the issue with because there's there's a lot of these statements because obviously your dad sent me the statements and your dad was saying to me, you know, every one of those statements says that the incident basically happened the way the boys said it happened, which is true. But the issue obviously with these statements is a lot of these statements also don't paint the situation in a great light. You know, a lot of the statements regarding Zach are that he looked proud of himself for what he did. He told, you know, a couple of people that he beat the shit out of Mr. Hill and didn't care what had happened to him. Right. You know, the other thing is they're all, they're all youngsters as well, 17 years old, 15 years old, an 11-year-old. They've got all these statements, like statement after statement. As I said, they paint the, the scenario, you guys all saying the same thing about the attack. But there's all those little, little extras yeah. that are in there that, that make it sound like... You know, four boys who were, or three boys who were beating the shit out of a guy who was unarmed, I guess. The, the thing is with, with, with those, a lot of the statements is, one, those statements were done weeks later. Yeah. Um, most of them. Um, and two, I don't know who was interviewing them, but I have a feeling the way, you know, officers and stuff interview people, investigators, they kind of lead them with things they want them to say. And like with Matt Ferris, for example, um, with him hearing, 
all the talk and stuff of everything that was going on after the fact. I feel like he may have heard something like that and thought that was said. I know that me and Chris, neither one, had any knowledge of anything about going by anyone's house, period. I mean, Zach will say that, Mark says that, Chris will say that. I mean, Chris even said that in his testimony. It's one of the few true things he did say. I mean, Chris did not like Zach or Mark at all, um, period. He didn't want to be around them, period. If they, if they had asked him to go by someone's house, he would have absolutely said no um, because he didn't want to be around them. I really didn't want to be hanging around them. You know, I was just doing it for Matt, which that part of the conversation uh, didn't come up because I guess, you know, the police probably didn't even know anything about him calling me to go over there without asking him that. Then they wouldn't even have known. You know, I'm like, why was I even with Chris and Zach? They didn't care about that. But that was the reason I was there. And I was riding by there, you know, looking for somebody. We marked, I mean, he said that's what he was doing, you know. The reason we went to Matt's job is because he's the reason I was there. We drove over there to tell him what happened by this man that's attacked us. Obviously, at that point in time, I had no idea this man was going to die. There were three other statements that the police would get from a group of boys that were apparently at the police station on the day of the incident when Zach, Jeremy and Mark would arrive at the station to let police know what had happened. These group of boys were washing a fire truck as part of their community service. They would claim that Zach and Mark told them what had happened and that Zach would claim to have beaten the shit out of Jimmy and that he seemingly didn't care what happened to him. The main issue that I can see with these three statements from the boys who all said they were together when they were told by Mark and Zach what had happened that day is that their stories are all different. Statement one is made by Kevin Doherty. At about 2.30pm while I was doing community service at the PGPD, I saw Mark Harper, Zach Kane and their families pull into the parking lot. Myself, Blake and Josh Triola were talking when Zach's grandmother walked up to us, assuming that we were involved in the incident. She started asking us what we saw. We told her that we didn't know what was going on, and she proceeded to tell us what she thought was true. She said that a man had kissed Zach Kane, and then they beat him up. Zach then walked over to us and started to tell us that he just beat the shit out of Jimmy Hill. He told us that while Mark was talking shit to Mr Hill, that Mr Hill leaned over and stuck his tongue into Mark's mouth. He then said that he pulled out his penis and started making sexual comments to them. He then said that Jeremy Kane hit him in the leg with a metal baseball bat and he heard a crack like his leg broke. As he fell to the ground, Zach told us that then he hit Mr Hill in the head with a bat when he looked like he was going to get back up. He told me that it knocked him out. Zach then saw the anger in my face and started to downplay the whole thing. He seemed to me as if he was proud of what he'd done. I asked him what happened to Mr Hill and he said in a boastful manner, he's being airlifted to hospital. We all started asking him what he would do if the guy dies and he replied, I'm not worried about it because he swung at me with a stick first. Zach was telling his mum that they were going over to Jesse Keaton's house and that the reason they had bats was because they had just been to the batting cage. He stepped back towards me where his mother couldn't hear him and I asked him if any of that was true and he shook his head and said no. Mark Harper seemed to me that he was the only one that was worried about the health of Mr Hill and he stated to me that Zach should not have done what he did. Zach's mum then called him over and I overheard her say, don't say anything else in front of him. 
While our conversation was going on, we heard a helicopter and I looked at Zach and he smiled as if he was proud of himself. Signed, Kevin Doherty. So as we hear there, Kevin says Zach's grandmother came up to them first and told them that Zach had been kissed in the mouth. Then it was Mark and Zach who would come over and Zach states he'd beaten the shit out of Jimmy Hill. I also read the statements by the young guys who were apparently there doing community service. Your brother already told me a little bit about that situation. One of the kids was doing community service because he'd actually threatened you guys. Yeah, this is actually kind of strange. Um, Ted and Dodie was at the police station doing community service for threatening me and my brother a couple months prior. Now, what happened there was he threatened to shoot me and my brother, and we told my parents, and my parents went to the police station, took me and my brother up there. I was 16, my brother was 15. So at that time in, in Alabama, if me being 16 years old, um, I told him I didn't want to swear to warrant and have him arrested. He testified that my brother talked to him and was bragging about it or something, but he clearly had a reason to get back at us, because, and that's why they used him because he was serving community service for threatening us. So he was just trying to get back at us. And then we actually saw him several years later in the county jail, and he was apologizing and saying he wished he hadn't done that, and he was sorry for it, and, you know, blah, blah, blah. He was going to come try to testify to say he lied. But then we told the lawyers, and he never would call the court to get him to do anything. So... That's kind of the background on that. But he suggested that, um, you know, you guys were telling him about the situation. In his statement, he tried to say that, you know, uh, you mentioned to him that you guys had given um, this guy, Jimmy Hill, a beating and you didn't really care what had happened to him. And basically, the only one who looked remorseful was was Mark. I don't, I don't remember talking to him, period. Yeah. <clears throat> I might have seen him. I remember seeing him there because I think he was watching some fire truck. And he asked what happened, I think, but as far as telling him anything that happened, I just told him that Jimmy attacked my brother and Mark, but I don't remember telling him no details, nothing like that. The stuff he says, I didn't say. See, it's funny that he would say something about me and my brother and not Mark. Now, he, he, he didn't like me and my brother for real. The next statement is from Chris Wisenhunt. I went up to the police department to talk to Kevin Doherty and Josh Triola, who were in community service. When I got up there, we talked for about five minutes and then Mark Harper, Zach Kane, Mark's dad, Zach's mum and Zach's grandmother pulled up. Mark and Zach came over and told us what happened. Mark said he was arguing with Jimmy Hill and Jimmy kissed him. Mark then said that he hit him with his fist. Then Mark said Jimmy went inside and got a stick and started chasing them. Zach got a bat out and hit him. Then Jeremy hit him. The Canes hit him repeatedly with the bat. From my understanding, Mark Harper and Chris Stano never hit him with the bat. Mark was the only one out of the two I saw who showed any remorse. Zach told us that he hoped Jimmy dies and he didn't care at all what happens to him. Signed, Chris Blake Wisenhunt. So the obvious difference with this statement is there's now no grandmother telling us a story and Mark has in fact said that he was the first one to hit Mr Hill. He in fact says he punched him in the face and then Mr Hill retreats into his property, gets the stick, comes back out and then chases them. And then Zach and Jeremy repeatedly hit Mr Hill with the bat. 
The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. In his statement, he said here that uh, Zach told us that he hoped Jimmy dies and he doesn't care at all what happens to him. Wow. I don't remember saying none of that. I don't remember talking to anybody. Yeah. So you don't remember, you've never read these statements before? No, I've never heard that one, period. I know Kyle Doty said something, but I don't remember anybody else saying anything. Yes. I wasn't thinking about Kyle Doty. I was like, he sold drugs in our town. Like, like your own community service or something, dealing with that. She sold drugs in our town. Yeah. You know, it's like, uh, I didn't even really think that about him. I didn't even like it to talk to him, for real. Because it, it was a Josh Triola as well. Um, another guy said he was there with Kevin when they were washing fire trucks for the community service. Um. And that uh, you you go they came you go you came over and told him what had happened basically that you'd knocked him to gr- to the ground and uh, started hitting him. I don't understand that. It started hitting him. I never hit him when he was down. Period. So There's no way I could have said that. Yeah. But I don't remember saying nothing to the people, but I still see like I don't know. That don't make no sense. The next statement was made by Josh Triola. Me and Kevin were washing fire trucks for our community service and they got a call, so they left me and Kevin sat there and Blake rode by to see what was going on. We did not know, so we talked to him for about 10 minutes and Zach and Mark with their parents came up to the police station. Zach and Mark started telling me, Kevin and Blake, what they did. They told us that they drove by Jimmy's house with their radio very loud. Jimmy came outside with his arms in the air, so they stopped the car and got out with baseball bats. Jimmy picked up a stick and walked towards them. Mark got in his face and started screaming in his ear. They said Jimmy turned his head, stuck his tongue in his mouth and kissed him, took a few steps back and pulled out his penis and said, you will suck this. Jimmy swung the stick at them. Then Zach said Jeremy hit him in the leg and knocked him on the ground. And Zach started to hit him also. A neighbor ran outside with a gun, Zach said. They took off running. Zach said he saw Jimmy trying to get up and hit him over the head again to knock him back down. Then he got in the car and left. 
Now, Josh is saying that Mark and Zach explain what had happened. In his statement, there seems to be more detail regarding the car and loud music. He says that Jimmy sticks his tongue in Mark's mouth, then proceeds to pull his penis out and then swings a stick at them. Jeremy hits him and then so does Zach. Of course, I'm not suggesting anyone's making false statements, but what this does show is that people who are supposed witnesses can all apparently experience the same event, but remember it in very different ways. There are, of course, many other statements from different people, but of course, there are two major witnesses. One being a gentleman by the name of Paul Gilliland, who is the neighbour from across the street. His wife would make the 911 call to police that day. Now, we will explore his version of events more in a moment. Their other main witness was Chris Stano, the young guy who was sitting in Jeremy's truck that day, the only one who never actually got out of the truck or got involved in the confrontation. Chris's story has obvious differences to Jeremy, Zach and Mark's. All the boys say that Chris Stano had worked with the DA in order to get a deal to avoid 35 years in prison. The thought is that he potentially cooperated with the police. Is that what we think? Yeah, yeah. He, I mean, he definitely cooperated with the police. Now, you know, if if, if he got out there and told the truth, I wouldn't even be mad at him. But, like, he got up there and told what they wanted him to say. And, you know, looking back on things, I see, you know, you tell your lawyer stuff in confidence, thinking they're not going to, you know, talk about it. But clearly they're telling the DA's office, well, this is what they're saying happened. Now, how are you going to make your, your, your case against them? They're saying this happened. Well, then he's got to get Kim to say because I think you know, the district attorney's office is expecting us to testify. So they had to make Chris's testimony sound similar to what happened, but, you know, leave out details. And then, so, you know, maybe they would believe him over us, but we never actually testified. And that kind of, all they had to go on was what he said. And there, there was several things he said, like one thing he was saying, like he said that Mark and my brother was door in front of us. They said they drove past the house with bats hanging out the window, which did not happen. But he turned right around right after that and said, well, when they stopped, they got the hats out of the, the back of the car, out of the trunk of the car. Well, if they got them out of the trunk of the car, how was they waving them out the window? You know, but the lawyers didn't do their job in testing them on that. And, you know, and that's in the transcripts as far as him saying multiple different things. And they, they would question him, but they really wouldn't drive it home with the jury to understand what they were do, what he was doing. They were kind of, they didn't do it. I mean, I would point, hey, he just said this and he said that. And they would just... Okay, okay, and they wouldn't, they wouldn't pursue it. They tricked him. Uh, his, his lawyer worked with the DA. They tricked him into believing that he was going to come to prison. You can't come to prison. First of all, you didn't have control of the vehicle, so you didn't stop it. Second of all, you never got out of the vehicle, so you was not involved. Only thing you was was a witness. You was nothing else. But then they threatened you with this other stuff and made you think you could be charged with it, but technically you couldn't be charged with it because you was, you was not involved, period. You had no control over the vehicle. You can't stop my brother from stopping his truck when Mark stops in front of him. He wasn't even supposed to be charged. Pete Short was his, law- his lawyer, and his lawyer worked with the DA. So what exactly were Chris Stano's claims of what happened that day? Well, in his testimony in court, everything basically is how everyone else has said so far it all happened. With the Burger King, Jeremy Chris in one car, following Zach and Mark, who were in the lead car. However, Chris will talk about how Mark and Zach would hold baseball bats out of the car windows and played loud music as they pulled into Fifth Street, where Jimmy Hill lived. 
As they arrived at Jimmy Hill's house, the prosecutor again asks where the bats are. Out the window, Chris replies. It's obvious from questioning that the prosecutor and Chris had previously discussed his testimony by the sort of leading questioning. For instance, here the prosecutor says, Now, could you hear if anything was being said or could you hear any noises at that point in time? I heard like music coming from Mark's car, loud music. Did he have a sound system in his car? Yes. Does it have big speakers in his car or something? Well, obviously. I mean, it's loud. And you could hear that at that point in time. Yes, sir. And could you see the bats being held out of the car as it went in front of Jimmy Hill's house? Yes, sir. So these aren't questions of, okay, Chris, talk us through what happened and letting him explain what went on. The prosecutor clearly wants to paint a picture. He does go on to ask Chris to explain what happens next, but again, when he's not quite getting what he wants, he starts to guide, again, like here. So what happened next? We pulled up and we was around at the turn in front of Jimmy's house. I looked in the right side mirror and saw a man running out in a jog. Did you notice anything else about him? Uh, As he got closer, I noticed it was Jimmy Hill. Did you notice anything else about the way he was jogging? Oh, he had a limp. I'm sorry? He had a limp. So the prosecutor is painting this picture for the jury. Two cars of teens are on their way to bash someone. The music is up loud and obnoxious. They have their baseball bats hanging out the windows. He drives that point home a few times by repeatedly asking where these bats are. He also wants to start to paint the picture of Jimmy Hill being set upon and being almost defenceless talking about this limp that he has. He in fact hammers this home in the opening statement that Mr Hill had a bad leg and that in fact the boys would target this leg to bring him down before they would strike the fatal blows. This is his job. He knows the defence team will be bringing their argument that Jimmy Hill was the aggressor, that he has a chequered past, that he brought his own weapon to this fight. It is his job to convince the jury otherwise. Chris would go on to testify that Mr Hill picked up a weapon after he saw the boys had bats. However, he decides against it and throws it away. As he starts backing away and leaving the situation, the boys would follow him, surround him and attack him. Chris would tell the court that Jeremy had a stick, however, he wasn't sure where that came from. Jeremy would get rid of the stick and take the bat from Mark and then swing that bat and hit Mr Hill in the left leg. Mr. Hill goes down on that leg. He says as Mr. Hill goes to get back up, Zach then swings. And Mr. Hill would attempt to catch the bat with his hands, but he misses and it hits him in the side of the head. Then he says Jeremy hits him in the back, which puts him down on all fours before he says Zach comes to deliver the final blow. The prosecutor asks Chris how it happened. And did you see Zach Kane deliver that blow? Yes, sir. Describe to the jury how he delivered it. Like you're chopping firewood straight over the top of the head. Show them. Chris Stano would demonstrate the action of Zach Kane lifting the bat and bringing it down like an axe in front of the jury. Chris would go on to talk about the moments after in the truck with Jeremy. The prosecutor would ask Chris if Jeremy said anything in that truck after the incident. Chris replies, He said, and I quote, I'm so mad I could go back and kill him. 
He would testify that he never saw Jimmy Hill lay a finger on any of the boys. I mean, I know why he didn't. We did. They told him he was going to sit in the prison for the rest of his life if he didn't say what they wanted him to say. And he pretty much said what he had to say. This trial is unlike others that we've covered as you have multiple people during the same trial with separate attorneys, all of who get the opportunity to cross-examine witnesses. And they would most certainly cross-examine Chris Stano. The first of the attorneys would get up and focus on Chris's accounts of the events that day as he recalled them in court versus what he had told Steve Kane on the afternoon it all happened. He called me after we went to the police department and everything. We couldn't get our kids that day. We were all at the house, my, me, my wife, my brother-in-law, and aunts and uncles and cousins and whatever else, a house full of people. Well, Chris calls me and says, Mr. Kane. I said, Chris, where are you at? He says, I'm riding around with my girlfriend. I said, well, get her to bring you over to my house. I want to know what happened. Chris would say he didn't recall the details of what he said to the Kane family that day. He just remembers telling them that the boys had hit Mr Hill with bats and a very brief overview of what happened with not much detail. He'd be asked if he recalled telling Mr Kane that Jimmy swung and tried to hit Jeremy. I don't recall, he replies. Do you recall telling them that Mr Hill had grabbed his crotch? Yes, sir. Do you recall telling them that you saw Jimmy Hill running up the street with a stick in his hand? I don't recall saying that. And when they saw Mr Hill with a stick, that's when they went back and got the bats. I don't remember saying that. Do you remember saying that Jeremy got out of his truck and you stayed in it? Yes, I did. So again, Chris Stano would go on to say that he remembers giving a very vague description of what happened, but does not remember the details. The attorneys would also focus on Chris's deal that he had reached with the prosecutor's office to avoid prison time. As we talk, and I know you're not a lawyer, but you're still charged with murder, aren't you? Yes, sir. But your arrangement and your deal is that you will appear and testify in this court, isn't it? Yes, sir. And that in return for your testimony, the prosecutors have arranged to assist you, haven't they? Yes, sir. And have arranged to assist you in a way that you are satisfied with, aren't you? Yes, sir. And arranged to assist you in a way that, first of all, limits the total punishment, the maximum punishment for any part of your deal to a maximum of three years, doesn't it? Yes, sir. But you also understand that the prosecutors have agreed to ask the judge, first of all, to consider that plea of yours, right? Yes, sir. And in addition to that, you expect, as part of that deal for appearing here, that the prosecutors in this case, who have charged you with murder, will ask the judge to suspend any sentence. Yes, sir so that you don't have to go a day in jail, right? Yes, sir. That's what you hope happens, right? Have you spoken to him since all of this happened? I've spoken to him one time on the 2017 after I was denied parole. I called him to talk to him to try to, you know, convince him to come forward that, you know, he lied. And when I talked to him, he was like, you know, everybody keeps saying that I lied, I lied. He's like, I didn't, I didn't get to get up there and tell what happened. I asked the questions. I had to answer the questions. I said, well, Chris, I said, like, I wasn't just trying to come out. Like, well, you know you lied. You're a piece of crap. Like, you know, I, I was trying to be friendly and, you know, try to, you know, he was my, at the time, one of my best friends. And I was hoping that he would come around. But now he has a family and kids and his, his wife doesn't even know really what even went on. He hasn't even told her. And, 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 you know, he was like, well, I want to help, but, you know, I really can't. I got too much to lose, blah, 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 blah. And, 
I was like, I really didn't lie. I said, Chris, I was like, you said the man tried to retreat. He's like, well, no, I didn't. I didn't say that. I said, yeah, you did. I said, you said I had a stick. I said, I didn't, I never had a stick. So I didn't say that. I said, yeah. He said, well, I got to go back and look at the transcript to see what, what I said. I said, Chris, you don't have to look at the transcript. Like you were there. You know what you saw or you didn't say. It ain't going to change. Like I, re- this was a one incident in your life that you're never going to forget. So you're not going to tell me that, that you don't remember what you said. You don't remember what you said because you didn't tell the truth. So, but I didn't really get anywhere. I talked to him a couple of times and, and it was all, you know, within a time frame on the same day. And then that was it. I never talked to him again. You have one minute remaining. Well, I appreciate everything. And I like said, I'll, I'll get off there and let you get back to do it with you. Um, I know I said, well, I'll take up a lot of your time. We've been talking, talking, talking. Thank you, you for know, using we never really Secure it. Crap. Goodbye. <laughs> And that's all we have time for. But coming up, we'll look at the state's other key witness, a man who lived across the street from the incident that took place that day. It's a man the Canes say was also untruthful about what he says he saw and lied on the stand. In fact, he himself would tell a couple of members of the Kane family, years after the boys had already been found guilty, that he would love to help them, as long as... He doesn't perjure himself. Being in a place like that, but any way I can help them, shoot, just let me know. Right? Well, sure will. I don't have to perjure myself at all. No, no, that's the I thing about. Oh, I'm so glad you brought that up. Next time, on one minute remaining. One minute remaining is a mashed pumpkin production, created, hosted, and produced by Jack Lawrence. Audio and sound design by Jack Lawrence and Dom Evans of Earsay. 